Hello, and welcome to Furloughed, Defining Moments Worth Talking About. I'm your host, Leonard Cochran, and I have with me today, Steve Otterstrom, as usual. Steve, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. And We're yourself? Great. <laughs> how are you doing? It's good to hear you're doing well. <laughs> i tell you what, uh, I'm doing well also. I've uh, been keeping busy with some of my volunteer projects and things that I've been working on. And uh, also notice, kind of just about to turn the calendar here, uh, that I am on, jeez, month number five out of six months oh of furlough. Yeah, oh we my. always refer to it as a 90-day furlough and a second 90-day furlough. But when you think of it in that regard, so I have been, as well as you, ultimately, been out of work uh, for five months now, and I have one month remaining. Well, here's here's hoping you get some good news soon and that um, you get something saying, hey, it's it's time to come back. Yes, that's that's the plan. That is our hope. That's for sure. So, yeah, I, I, and I know uh, we did receive some messaging a couple of weeks back or so. Uh, so should be hearing something soon. Uh, I, I would personally anticipate it maybe being about two weeks out, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Possibly it'll be sooner than that. And but, I think uh, there's some promising things um, in the hospitality industry too, as far as um, I'm going driving past hotels and seeing some cars in the parking lot, which <laughs> yes. didn't didn't happen a few months ago. So, um, and I know that uh, many of my uh, former coworkers uh, and I guess comrades <laughs> uh, have uh, reported that they're reopening their hotels and that some are seeing. Um, a rise in occupancy as well. So mm-hmm. I, I'm really kind of hoping that that there I, there are certainly better signs now than there were when the second 90 days started. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, still still a ways to go, but it's looking mm-hmm. looking better. That's for sure. So, and uh, one one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about today too is. Uh, as we're thinking about this and talking through this, as as most folks are familiar with, we do have listeners outside the United States, but most folks here in the U.S. are aware, uh, our government is no longer, um, <laughs> our government's no longer functioning. No. Um, <laughs> that is true, too. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, specifically, though. Specifically in one area, though. Yes, yes. So uh, we, our federal government had passed legislation allowing kind of to to help with all of this pandemic and to help the finances of the economy continue to roll. And so we did during a a period up until the end of July, have an additional unemployment compensation from the federal government. And so through disagreements among the parties there, uh, that ended in July and it has not begun again yet. Although there's been some talks I, it's difficult to track news on any talks at all. Have you seen anything lately on the talks yourself, Steve? I have not. I mean, the, the yeah. most recent thing I heard is, don't worry, whatever we put together, we'll make it happen retroactive. Yes. But then they haven't been speaking since, as far as I can tell. I, I know that uh, there was an executive order signed by uh, President Trump that was supposed mm-hmm. to give some relief. Um, however, as I've had a chance to kind of look at that, I really think everyone's experience may vary significantly with that, depending on the state that they're in. Mm. Um, 
because a portion of it requires funding from the states, which they are not obligated to do based off an executive order. Um, and many states are in a situation where they're saying we, we, we didn't have the funding for it anyways, since, um, right. you know, the federal government theoretically has an unlimited supply of money because they can just decide mm-hmm. there is more money <laughs> and, yeah. and put it out there where um, uh, no state has the ability to raise finances in, in that way. So um, it, it certainly makes it a little bit challenging. And then there's, um, you know, there's just some, <laughs> there, there's a reason why we have a legislative branch to allocate where funds go. And, and, and it doesn't work as well when it's, when it's done through the executive. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and our legislative branch, they've been on vacation or I, I don't know if they call it vacation where they are, but anyhow, yeah. I would, <laughs> and they're supposed <laughs> to be returning the first part of September. So I know that's part of the absence of any communication on that, although they did mm-hmm. meet up to give some money to the post office and do some other things. Uh, but by and large, I think they're kind of out of pocket until the yeah. first part of September, my understanding. Well, even that with so. the post office, my understanding is that's just the house and not the Senate that has uh, taken action on that. And, and so of course, you know, and, and anybody who is outside of the United States and not familiar when we say the house and the Senate, basically our legislative branch has two um, different um, houses or arms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you've, you've got the house that uh, has many more representatives and is currently in control uh, or by, or is being controlled by the Democrats. And we have, our Senate, um, which also has to pass off on anything, any legislation has to be passed off by both the House and the Senate, uh, and that is controlled by the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when one wins, the other fails, and because of that, uh, <laughs> it, it makes it difficult sometimes for, for even common sense legislation to make its way through because neither side at this juncture feels like they want to give a win to the other. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's a great design. Uh, for, it's created for a purpose, but somehow recent history, I say recent as in maybe the last six to 10 years or so, it seems as though everybody is so party line oriented that there's no crossing over. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of wanted to talk about collaboration today. Well, <laughs> maybe it should be cooperation if we're going to be talking about government. Yeah. Uh, there, there has to be a measure of co- cooperation involved to do anything. But I, I, I kind of wanted us to dig into the topic of collaboration because that's it's something that I know in the work that I do, uh, it, it's something that is extensively a part of what I do in partnering with folks and getting things done, especially when I was in the role of a project manager. Uh, it was extremely difficult to get things done without collaboration. And I see just for me in my soapbox, I'll, I'll say it and say it once and not stay on it long, but I, I just see as a culture where there is not as much collaboration as there used to be. And as far as people working together to accomplish something. And like I say, we could call it cooperation if we want, but if we dig deeper, uh, I, I do think it's a, a collaboration that is the real necessity. Um, and, and Steve, you and I had spoke about collaboration one time before, and I thought you had kind of a great way of defining 
collaboration. So I, I wonder if you just kind of share with us what the way you expressed it or as best you can, the way you expressed that before, because I think that was really some great insight, Steve. <laughs> well, it may have been a, a brief moment of brilliance, and it's possible <laughs> that uh, whatever I said then might <laughs> might now have been lost to the ages. But I think for me, what makes collaboration what it is, is that, you know, I, I've certainly been in uh, plenty of meetings <laughs> where where the, the your leader comes into that meeting and they say, all right, we're going to collaborate on something. And as you get started, they guide you towards something and they say, can we all agree to this? And you say, oh, sure. And then they guide you to something else. Can we all agree to that? And in the end, you realize that they had an agenda and they wanted you to feel like you had contributed to it. But in the end, it turned out being exactly what they had expected it to be when they, when they, came, when they came into the room or came into whatever the negotiation was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, I, I think I define collaboration by what it's not. Collaboration does not exist if what happened was what you expected. So if I have a conversation um, with someone with a differing opinion and I come away with the same opinion that I had before and I brought them on board with me, that wasn't really a collaboration. That was just a matter of convincing them that my opinion was right. Or if I come away and I have now taken their position, that really wasn't a collaboration either. That was me just being convinced of their position. But when we both come in from, uh, from not necessarily polar opposite views, but have different views of any kind, And when we walk out, we have something different than what we expected we would walk away with. Then I believe we've had a collaboration that we've we've actually invented something new, either a new thought, a new process. Um, And I think even just to tie it into, you know, maybe where we're at with our government here in the United States, you know, a lot of times what is what is talked about is one other thing that I wouldn't refer to as collaboration. And that is when one side comes in, like for example, right now with unemployment, one is asking for um, a $6 trillion package and the other is asking for a, or actually I think it's 3 trillion. (laughs) One is asking for a 3 trillion and one is asking for 1 trillion. And what often happens is they just say, all right, well, we'll go with a $2 trillion package. And that wasn't a collaboration either. That was a negotiation. Right. That I just gave up a little bit. You gave up a little bit. And neither one is really happy with what we leave with. But when, I, when I've seen a real great collaboration take place, um, both sides learned and they came away with something that they were even more happy with than their original item. And I'm not sure collaboration can exist in every circumstance. Mm-hmm. I think it should be the goal for most. Yeah, but it does require a certain set of humility that that uh, is really difficult. It's very difficult, especially when you have a power relationship. Well, yeah, I, and I think you're spot on, Steve, as they say in the wonderful business world. Spot on. I'd like to throw <laughs> that in there, but uh, no, seriously, you are uh, because it requires an element of letting go of what we desire to put it on the table and then sort of shake things up and see what we end up with. And one of the things that uh, 
is so valuable about a collaboration, just like you said, it is not a negotiation, uh, but we end up coming up with something completely new and different, at least oftentimes in a collaboration we do. And so to me, what I see with collaboration is rather than you come to the table with an idea and I come to the table with an idea, and therefore we have two ideas competing against one another and one of them wins, one of them loses, or maybe, you know, it's compromised. So we do come up with a third type of an idea, but collaboration at its best really is almost a multiplier. So therefore you and I come to the table, maybe we have stakes in the game, uh, but when we come to the table, we lay those out. And to your point, there's a bit of humility, a bit of vulnerability, some discussion, and then suddenly we can create together something that maybe nor neither you or I saw to begin with. And that's that's the real beauty and essence of collaboration and what makes it, to me, what why, why it's such a great thing. And I think what I would add to that, and I think that, that really changes it, is having an idea is not necessary for a good collaboration. Mm. You know, you might need, or having a solution is not necessary for a good collaboration. It might help, but it might stand in the way as well. What really is necessary for a quality collaboration is to come to the table with a problem or Mm -hmm. with, with an opportunity for some kind of growth or improvement here. And, you know, I, I think in, in many ways, in the, you know, because we're kind of using our own government and this <laughs> this one issue, and there are many, many other issues. And, and we've talked about some of those social issues while we've been on these, you know, with, with um, you know, COVID-19. Yeah. Um, we know what the problem is. <laughs> and, and, and hopefully there's great collaboration taking place to get vaccines and things out there. But one of the places where we really have gone astray is when we couldn't recognize that we had a common problem Hmm. and so collaboration never even never even got off (laughs) never even got started uh because we didn't we didn't even get to that point that we said well there's a problem we've got people getting sick we've got people who are dying and and i know in the early days uh some of the things that we heard is well it's not really a problem it's, it's just similar to a cold or a flu or the real problem is, is what it's doing to our economy and not what it's doing to our health. And even seeing it at any point that the two of those could be separated. I, I, mm-hmm. I think in hindsight, it's obvious. It wasn't necessarily as obvious when it originally happened that there was no way we could have a healthy economy without healthy people. And there was no way we we're going to have healthy people without a healthy economy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, there, so there is an element of ownership that's involved in collaboration where each or all parties involved have to have some form of responsibility or feel some kind of responsibility involvement with it. And, and I think without question too, you know, we've heard so many, um, hyper conspiracy theories and whatnot Mm -hmm. to truly collaborate. We have to have an element of trust involved. And so, you know, I, I have to assume that you're coming with positive intent or at least have evidence of that, even if I don't want to make that assumption. And, and the same is true with you, especially when we're talking individuals collaborating together. Um, so if, if because if there's a lack of trust, 
then we fight for the stake in the ground. We fight for our rights. We fight for whatever our cause. And then the, the whole thing becomes a negotiation. And there are, quote unquote, win-win negotiations. I understand that. But so much more of a narrow scope than what we have when we collaborate, I think. Well, I think what you've just described is when we define battle lines. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not really so much as we're now preparing even to negotiate, but I'm prepared to beat you back to a certain line hmm. and you're prepared to beat me to a certain line. And, you know, I think if there's anything we've learned from modern warfare, <laughs> you know, I think I just have this image of World War One, yeah. where, you know, and I, I'm sure that's where we kind of get this idea of being entrenched. You know, in World War One, once once we dug, I say we, but we're you know in the U.S. we were kind of late to that war a little bit. The the trenches were dug by the point we made it there. But um, what ended up happening during World War One is once those lines were were there and they were sitting in the trenches, periodically we felt like okay something needs to happen and you know there'd be a bayonet charge and and you know these young men would just get you know mowed down by. Uh, the oncoming fire, and then whoever mowed them down would say, oh, it's our turn for a bayonet charge, and then they'd get mowed down, and there really was no uh, movement because of that entrenchment. Mm-hmm. And so I guess for me, the, the, the thing is, how do you get beyond that? Because I feel very entrenched. I know, um, especially from a political perspective, when it comes to to our vote in November, I don't even have a second <laughs> thought about where that's going. Mm-hmm. And I know good people and people I trust and people I care about who have a very different view on where their vote is going to go. Mm-hmm. But I don't even know where to start in having that conversation because to me, I'm very entrenched in my view. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 and, and, and I, and I do see this as a as uh, defining my battle line. So how do we get past that? How do we get to a point, a position of trust when I think in some ways we've kind of abused each other this last <laughs> four years and we have reason not to trust each other? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. And I, I, I you know... <laughs> I think it's gone beyond the last four years, but if we talk politics, it's certainly been galvanized for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, and that's a great question, Steve. And, and I think, you know, I, I, as a matter of fact, I was talking to my son about one of the political hot button issues currently, and I, I'm almost reluctant to say it for fear that it's going to detract from the conversation and we'll mm-hmm. focus on the political issue. So I, if, if folks will be a little tolerant, I won't call it out. Uh, but what he made mention of, and, and picture a graph, if you will, he said, we are right here, you know, so we're basically at ground zero on the graph. And everybody wants to get to, we'll say, 100% on that graph. And so currently, you talk about being entrenched, currently what it is is we are ha- we have people that want 100% or nothing. So we're not even willing to have any movement towards that 100% because it's not good enough unless we're all of the way there. And I think that's part of what immobilizes us from collaborating quite as 
much as what we need to. What we have to recognize and use World War One as an example, you know, during World War One, uh, there there was a instance where uh, I believe it was the French and the German army were both entrenched on a holiday season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Christmas season, and they both literally. And there's a movie about this as well. Uh, of course, yeah. But Dark anyhow. Brooks wrote a song about it. So, yeah. okay, there you go. There you go. I didn't realize that. So you can you can hum that formulator, I guess. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, they they called a peace. Uh, so both of them sat aside some interest that they had because they were representing their country and they had to set aside some interest to take a moment to actually recognize hey, the other the other side are people too and and having an actual conversation and i think if we have actual conversations we can break that ice and at least begin to take steps towards and i recognize you know depending on which it, hot button issue we're talking about steps haven't been taken fast enough and all that uh but at least to allow folks to take some steps i I think is the beginning processes of collaboration so it it requires some conversation it requires some trust and allows folks some wiggle room to make some movement rather than just Again, I think your entrenchment example is a great example of, well, hey, we, 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 it will not be good enough until I'm in your trench is mm-hmm. just about the attitude we seem to have as a culture. Well, and I think it's interesting because in, in many ways it goes back to really the, the, the core issue when we talked about collaboration. You haven't collaborated if you already knew what the end result was. Mm. You know, again, you're looking at, again, at a, a negotiation. So it's, it's yes. a matter of th- there, there is no collaboration to be had at that point. And I think one of the interesting things, and I, I really want to go back to that. Um, it was, it was the, oh, I can't remember what year it was, but it was, it was Christmas where they, they called the, um, like 1819 or yeah, something. Yeah. I for the, for, and, and, and the, the story and, and, you know, it's like all things in history. <laughs> Sometimes the story might be more myth than story, but whether or not it is the concept, um, remains the same and you know what 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 the story is is that um they could hear the soldiers could hear um soldiers on the other side on the other line singing silent night and of course it was a different language uh but it was the same tune they had both grown up um hearing that and actually the um soldiers left their trenches (laughs) and uh and they sang silent night together and it's interesting because after that was done, a, a, a sense of humanity uh, began. And this is the part that usually isn't talked about <laughs> as much in, in the history of it, is that it actually um, required uh, threats from officers afterwards to get them to yes. fire on the people they had actually seen and spend a little bit of time with, creating that humanity with them. And I think really what's unfortunate about it is that what wasn't learned from that is that reasonable people can work this out. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's our leaders who pit us against each other and say, nope, that's not your tribe. This is your tribe. This is where you need to be. And we're smart. <laughs> you know, we're, we're as, as, as humankind, there's no reason why we can't look at ourselves as global citizens 
as as part of a much larger tribe. We don't have to to hear our leaders say, "No, this is who who you talk with. This is who you uh, communicate with." I mean, I even I even think about you know um, the challenges that that exist as we go from one country to another, and and um, what re- web browser you can use. Uh, when you go to one country and you can't use in another country, and it's and it's all based off of these political lines. We don't want you to play, not not too different than um, than a parent saying you can't play with the kid down the street. He's not enough like us. Mm. Yeah, it's really difficult, I think, for us to get past that because you know you talk about trust. Mm-hmm. To some degree, I think collaboration requires that we stop trusting some some individuals. Yeah, we shift our trust from one place to another, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. And maybe give other people a turn being trusted. You know, if, if I've trusted one group my entire life, well, where has that taken us? <laughs> Are mm-hmm. we any closer? Maybe I need to give someone a turn being trusted. Or maybe it's been a while since I trusted someone else, you know. Yeah. But how do you, I still, I still go back to how do you do that? How do you give trust in a place where you currently have distrust? Because that distrust is there to protect me. It's usually based off of some kind of experience or perceived experience um, that something, someone wasn't to be trusted. How do we take a step into the dark to trust someone or someone? And, and really when I talk about this, I think, you know, I, I'm really referring not to like, Hey, I, I didn't trust uh, our president, so now I, now I'm going to trust him, or I didn't trust CNN, so now I'm going to trust CNN. I, d- I didn't trust Fox, and so now I'm going to trust Fox. I don't know if that really does us any good there, anyways. I think it, it really is a matter of like healing our neighborhoods, healing our relationships. How do I trust someone that that is maybe closer to me than than those entities that are really kind of right, not within my reach, anyways. Right. Well, and I I heard uh, someone talking one time about just very much kind of what you're saying there. You know, think since we started off with politics, think about that for just a moment. We hold an election every four years Mm -hmm. in the United States for a presidential candidate. How much time, energy and effort do we put into that national election every four years? And of course, this is an individual question everybody needs to answer for themselves. Mm-hmm. So how much time, energy and effort do we put into that political process every four years? But yet I, and this is sad, but true, I cannot even tell you the mayor of the city that I live in. Uh, I live in a small rural town. Uh, I moved here at this point, 10 years ago, I can't tell you who the mayor is. I can't tell you who a single alderman is or any political position. Um, And wouldn't you think that my local community is going to have a greater impact on me than somebody at a national level? Now, I recognize certain things just as we started talking about unemployment and some of those conversations. Those those are more at a national level, obviously, as you just alluded to at the start of our talk. Mm -hmm. But yet, as far as the actual community and the environment that I'm in, that's much more regulated here on a local level than it is on a national level. And yet, out of my own admission, I don't even know any of the candidates coming in the election or currently existing in office. Um, And so then the question becomes, how much energy am I spending outside of that 
looking at that other community, expecting them to change what's happening here when I'm not even empowered or taking the empowerment upon myself to make any change happen where I am. Well, maybe that is the more important element to collaboration is let's collaborate where we can yeah, (laughs) and negotiate (laughs) where we can, you know, like from the perspective of like, when, when I, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not unique. And I know that from both sides of the aisle, the same experience, we have the same shared experience. We watch the news at night and we get angry, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether you're on my side of the aisle or you're on the other side of the aisle. Yes. One thing we all have in common is that we are all angry by the time we're done watching the news. Yes. And, um, the thing is, is we're watching news that is really far removed from us. Hmm. You know, like it is, it does affect me that um, our legislative branch and our executive branch for that matter as well, can't get together and work out unemployment. They can't get together and um, make sure that, uh, um, and, and this is on both sides, you know, we talk about voting and securing our elections. Both sides are saying the other side is making it less secure. Yes. Um, but they, the, the fact that, that, they're unable to do that. I'm so far removed. I mean, I've, I've sent letters to my um, congressmen and senators since this whole thing started. I've sent more letters than I've ever sent in my life. And really all I've learned from that is it doesn't do any good. <laughs> mm. um, I mean, somebody's going to say, no, no, you need to do letter writing campaigns. You need to let us know how you feel. That's probably true. And there is somebody putting a tick mark next to my opinion when mm-hmm. it comes in. But based off the letter I get back, I get, um, if you were writing about this and this and this, then this might help you. If you're writing, I, 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 one letter I get back says, thank you for contacting us. Your opinion matters. The other I got back, and actually one was sent to a Republican, one was sent to a Democrat. So the Republican, I got something back saying, thank you for, you know, um, respond or for, for telling us what you, what you, what you think. And your opinion counts. The other sent something back with, it was, oh, I don't know how, it was like 20 pages long. And it was mm-hmm. like, because I had mentioned COVID in it, there was every resource that they could think of related to COVID, but none of them had any Keyword search. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> respond so like, to this. Respond. Either way, I, I came away realizing that I'm, I'm just yelling down a well. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not making a difference or at least it didn't feel like to me, like it's making a difference. But where I could make a difference would be on that local level, mm-hmm. you know, in that, um, you know, and that's something that's big and, and it, whether you, I don't think there's anybody that is pro police brutality. I, I don't, right. you know, I, we might, we might define things in different ways, but I don't think there's anyone out there that's like, yes, I think, I think the police should be beating people or killing people. I think some people have a different view on on what the best way is to stop that and yeah. what would happen if you made certain uh, changes. But I don't. I don't think there's anyone that's that's for it. Yeah. Um, and when I look at like the um, at least the local things I've seen for the the concept of defund the police, which I think is just a, a really bad way of saying that because people hear, oh, we won't have police, we won't be able to call them. Right. Is really just a call to have your local government be more focused on certain social services 
before we have to get to the point that we have to police things. Nobody wants to live in a police state. You know, we all want to live in a place where we can be safe without having, you know, a huge amount of security and things. So, mm-hmm. and I think that comes down to what you're talking about, that, that local aspect. And that's where collaboration can take place. Yeah. I could probably attend a city council meeting and actually have my city councilor hear what I have to say. Well, and that's, I think you're uncovering one of the real keys to the start of collaboration is just exactly that. Listen, you know, because sure we can, to your point, <laughs> send off letters and have a computer answer them or, uh, you know, which means they're not exactly listening. They're ticking a box somewhere or doing something somewhere. But uh, and, and that's not to say everybody's not listening. Uh, but for us, you know, for us to really collaborate with somebody, we have to have a dialogue. And part of a dialogue is listening. You know, you back to the story in the trenches. They were listening to hear those folks in the other trench and they heard them singing a Christmas song and therefore they joined in, you know, it was something in listening. They recognized some commonality, even though to your point, they couldn't understand the language, but they still listened and they heard some commonality and that's what brought them together. And we know for a fact, anytime you dehumanize your quote unquote enemy, whoever you're in opposition to, anytime you dehumanize someone, you devalue them and you speak down to them and treat them as an other rather than the same as yourself, it makes it so much easier to disregard their thoughts, their opinions, and their beliefs. And so it's it, if we take the time to listen, that gives us opportunity to recognize the commonality that we have which then allows us to begin to collaborate because to your point, yeah, nobody wants police brutality. So let's listen to the situation here, maybe on a local level, and then say, oh, okay, well, this is what's happening currently in my local community. Well, here's some tweaks and things that could adjust it and make it better. And together we could work through it rather than this whole negotiation mindset. Yeah, and I think you really hit on, you know, collaboration does require that common ground and and the ability to articulate that. Because I think, you know, one of the things that is, is frustrating and using, again, Black Lives Matter as, a, as, a, as an example, you know, somebody says Black Lives Matter and then someone else responds with Blue Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what is often heard with that is, it almost sounds as if somebody is saying, well, I said black lives matter. Now you say blue lives matter. And, and you, you're saying that the two have to be in, in have to be against each other, that the right. only way we can save blue lives is by killing black lives. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and I don't think many people are trying to, to actually say that, but that is what's coming across. Yeah. So talk- they're hearing, they're hearing words, but they're not hearing the meaning behind, just like you're ex- constantly having to explain what defunding the police means. You know, um, I don't know yeah. who coined that phrase. They they failed. Uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> uh, it's it's hearing. And that's so when we talk about listening to somebody, it is just beyond the words, too, you know, because yeah. I can't tell you how many times I have misspoke myself and have to be corrected. And so if you solely take it upon my own words, you may miss what I'm trying to say sometimes because I, I, I can fail to speak the right words at times. 
Well, and we speak in sound bites now because, uh, and, and that's why we have defund the police because it takes too long to say, uh, we want to shift um, funding from <laughs> local funding from uh, policing to social services that would eliminate the need to have the policing in the first place. That's that's much longer, <laughs> and 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 people would say, oh well, that's nice. So, like, so I think there's two things that come into that. One is we speak in sound bikes, but we also feel like we have to shock to get somebody's attention. Yeah, and, and that's not necessarily wrong either because. Um, if I don't shock you into hearing me, I remember having this frustration. I use, I use this example probably more than I should, but I remember when I was first, um, leaving Mormonism, trying to have conversations with people who were still within the faith. And I felt like if I softened my words too much to explain what I found distasteful about that particular worldview, (laughs) then they couldn't understand what I, I was saying. They would just say, well, th- you you still feel the same way. You still love the church. So why aren't you part of us? So I found if I softened my words, they didn't hear me because it was too easy for them to put it in the context of, well, everything's happy. Everything's fine. Hmm. And then if I, so, so if I, if I unsoften my words and I spoke too harshly, then it came out as attack against their personal faith. And I offended them and the communication didn't come across either. <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah. that's one of the biggest challenges to collaboration, especially in a high stakes environment, is how do you speak with clarity and say only what you mean? And then how does the person on the other side do something that's even more difficult? And that's to listen with clarity and hear only what is said, mm-hmm. not add additional context, not add additional, well, if they mean this, they must also mean this and this, you know? And I, again, it goes back to Black Lives Matter. And someone says Black Lives Matter, and then someone says, wait a minute, are you saying that white people should be killed? No, of course not. It never meant that. It never meant that they're the only lives that matter. You know, it always meant that right now we're we're being disproportionately affected by uh, police brutality. So let's focus on where the issue is right now. Mm-hmm. But it's it's that listening that is very difficult as well. And I know now we could we can switch the conversation and 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 bring up some other talking points. You know, like when someone says all lives matter, and then people are upset because they say, well, that's a racist statement. Yeah. Well, truth is, I think we can only listen to what that person actually said. We don't need to add additional context that they didn't mean to put in there. You know, <laughs> that that maybe what they are trying to say is Black Lives Matter because they're part of all lives. Yeah, and one of the things, Steve, that I know he heard said quite a bit is uh, you've got two ears to listen and one mouth to speak. And, and one of the things that I think is important as you're talking about all these misunderstandings is you do have two ears to hear, so you should listen twice as hard as what you're talking. So when we hear Black Lives Matter, if we assume that means only Black Lives Matter, then maybe we should ask a clarifying question. 
before we respond rather than sit there and formulate our response and assume that we understood what we heard. And so that's, that's what I mean by listening twice. And it does kind of shift back to what we said earlier in our conversation. It requires a little bit of a uh, assumption of positive intent or a little bit of a assumption that maybe they have a different perspective than I am. So even though I'm hearing something that could antagonize me a little bit, let me dig a little deeper and see if that's really what they're meaning, if indeed that's something that antagonizes me. And I think we might even want to look at it also from the perspective of if we don't listen, we will be saying something like communication happens, whether or not we are talking. (laughs) If someone is aware of us, we are communicating something to them, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. And, you know, specifically, you know, thinking about um, people who have been hurt over time and, the amount of effort it takes sometimes for somebody to really bear their soul. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. if we're not really actively trying to emotionally understand, we will be offensive. Yeah. We, we will drive them away from, from being able to collaborate (laughs) with us in the future. Mm -hmm. I think probably I've seen this maybe even, the most in my marriage where, you know, there's been times that Elizabeth said something to me and I didn't take it all that serious. And then I realized that it, it ended in a tremendous amount of hurt, yeah. you know, that um, wasn't intended. And I think from a society perspective as well, you know, if, if we have a group and we talked about this before with ACEs um, and how, People who have dealt with trauma in their childhood, and, and one of the things that the CDC uh, mentioned as as the core of, of trauma is uh, groups that have dealt with his, historical trauma, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who have over generations um, been traumatized by things. And if, if we aren't prepared to respond with empathy and really trying to put ourselves in that situation. I think sometimes we feel like to be empathetical, we might feel guilty and we're trying to protect ourselves from feeling guilty, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we, we want to say, well, um, I see what you're saying, but we've got to move beyond that (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we don't want to feel guilty for what happened. And I'm not saying that we necessarily have to feel guilty, but True empathy will hurt. That's that's what I was going to say too. Yeah, if we're not feeling some kind of discomfort, then per, then it's very likely we are not truly being empathetic. Yeah, we're we're hearing and we're trying to be empathetic, but we aren't feeling it. And I, I think part of that, just like you said with Elizabeth, your wife, all of us have done that. We've all said something that someone else heard whether it was misconstrued or heard the correct way, it hurt them. The mm-hmm. beautiful thing though, for, for you and I, if, if we're talking spouses, you know, Elizabeth came back to you and let you know, Hey, this hurt. And you cared enough about her to fix that hurt. And, you know, by golly, the trash goes out every Friday now from now on, right? <laughs> Whatever the case might be. And and that's the thing, right? So we, we, again, alienate ourselves from folks. And what matters 
to me matters most, what matters to you doesn't count. All of these things tie in to feeding and fostering that antagonistic view, which we can never then truly collaborate and come to resolve. And, you know, I think even, um, you know, bring up uh, with Elizabeth, my, my spouse, <laughs> you know, and, and, and times that I've not been empathetical, it is difficult to be empathetical when you come from a, a point of privilege, you know, and for me, you know, misogyny, you know, I, I grew up in a very man is in charge environment, you know, mm-hmm. Um, it, it was what I was taught from when I was, although my father was, was very different. Um, uh, and, and, and my mother was also very different. She was always in charge, but the, the rest of the society around me was, was very, you know, it's, it's, the men go to work, the men do these things, the women stay home. And, um, so I didn't see a lot of the things that I did as, you know, sexist. I saw them as it's the way the world turns. So why would, why should someone be offended by just the way the world works and the way, and so uh, a huge blind spot. And I think the first times I encountered um, having hurt her because of sexist views, I was just completely oblivious and I saw her as being irrational mm-hmm. because why are you not accepting reality for what it is. And I look at that as, you know, with my other biases as well, when you see people who seem irrational in their pain or irrational in what they're up against, oftentimes there might be an unconscious bias that's hiding beneath that, that makes it seem irrational to you because people don't do things without a reason for doing it. You know, even when we talked about ACEs, and how it leads oftentimes to bad behavior choices later on in life. There's a reason it does that. There's a reason it goes that way. And it's not them being irrational. It's just the way things work. Right. And, and the sooner we can get to where we understand it, the sooner we're going to be able to move beyond it. And it is better to get beyond our biases. It's, it's a better way to live. And it's, a, it's, it's an opener way of living. Yeah, we, we can't view life through a single lens and assume that we're seeing everything correctly. You know, uh, I, one of the trainings we do talks about each of us uh, being kind of like a diamond. You know, there are so mm-hmm. many facets to it. And if we view everything through a single lens, I even posted something on LinkedIn about something this weekend. If we have a hammer, we view everything as a nail. <laughs> We're going to mm-hmm. fix it, you know, <laughs> and, and the, we need more tools in our box than just the one that we grew up. So in other words, the bubble that we grew up in may be the perfect environment for you to grow up in, but other people grew up in a different bubble. And so if you're going to relate to them, you've got to set aside your bubble for a moment and look inside their bubble and recognize it's completely different than where you are. You can't view it as though they grew up in the same environment you do did and unfortunately that's that's where bias comes in in a large part is we assume that my way is right and everybody grew up the way i did they're just behaving differently and i i'm fully guilty of that when we talk about uh, some of these personality traits and different things like that that was a real eye-opener for me 
to understand that, hey, people literally grew up completely different and have different thoughts, different perspectives than me. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I had this image in, in my mind of like when I've gone to Six Flags with my kids and we rode the same roller coaster, but I promise I had a different experience than they did. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, um, it, even sitting side by side, it was a different experience because my old body does not take those G-forces in the same way that uh, their young bodies do. And and I think, you know, so often we, we take that for granted um, as well. So, you know, it's interesting as we've been talking, um, and I know we're getting close to the, the time to end up, and, and we kind of started talking about collaboration. And I think this shows really just how complicated collaboration is because we've really only made it through this threshold element. Yes. Yeah. So true. So true. In order to collaborate, we need to first start listening. There is no collaboration without listening because how else will we know what they bring to the table if we haven't spent the time listening to them to see what it is? Yeah. And, it, and, and listening for understanding as well. Right. And so, again, talking about hearing what's truly being said and not just the words that are being spoken. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Well, I know this is a little bit of a deviation from past podcasts, but I, I just thought it was a great subject for us to kind of, at least to your point, kind of scratch the surface of Steve. Um, you know, part of the genesis of this whole furloughed podcast was to not solely focus on just being out of work. <laughs> Because we've got plenty of time to focus on that. But uh, part of it really was on talking about change and understanding change and how change impacts us. And there's no question that as we collaborate with others, uh, the results, to as I said earlier, become multiplied as opposed to just me working alone or just you and I working with mm-hmm. one single thing in mind. Uh, but we can get so much better results when we genuinely, truly collaborate. And so uh, it's my hope that maybe we can somehow spread this message <laughs> of collaboration uh, and, and folks begin to recognize the necessity of, just as you summarized a second ago, you know, in listening and hearing to hear what's truly being said. Any last thoughts from you before we wrap this up, Steve? No, I, I think I think the final thing would be just a, a quick disclaimer. You know, many of the things we talked about today, I think we kind of did off the cuff. And I know that when I speak that way, it's easy to say something that might be offensive to someone and because I have my blind spots. And so um, if there's anything that we've brought up today that made anybody feel uncomfortable or you have a different opinion, you know, um, give us the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Maybe yes. reach out to us. <laughs> Tell us, with us. tell us, yeah, collaborate <laughs> with us. Tell us, tell us what, what, what we got right, what we got wrong. Because especially when it comes to things like, you know, we brought up Black Lives Matter a couple of times. I have been white my entire life. And, I, and, and it, it is easy for me to miss things and to be blind to things. And I know it's not anybody's job to, to um, fix me or educate me on those things. But I, I truly appreciate when people have given me honest feedback that have yes. helped me see where I have been insensitive, where I have really missed the boat. I know years ago I was working at um, 
at a hotel and I, I got a feedback form um, for an event that I had led. And in the forum, they, the, the person out and out said, Steve was great, but he's very racist. And mm-hmm. it, it really affected me, actually. I, it put me in a slump for a couple of days because when I read it, I realized I had given different treatment unintentionally, but it had still happened. It had mm-hmm. still happened. I had given different treatment. Um, I don't know why I had given different treatment. It wasn't like I had treated someone bad. I just treated someone else better who was more like me. And whether that was my intention or not, it is what had happened. It was very uncomfortable. I still am ashamed of it. But I can't grow without it. I can't grow without someone being willing to help me see what I can't see. You know, we're all, we all have blind spots and we need people to help us see those. And we need to be open when somebody says something and not defensive. Uh, when they say, you know what, you hit this spot and it hurt and I don't want you to do that anymore. <laughs> so yes, I'm not saying you have to, but if if there is anything that we've said as we've spoken off the cuff and we've said something that may be insensitive, please reach out and, and let us know and help us become better people. Absolutely, Steve. Fully agree. Uh, certainly you can reach out to us at furloughedmailbox at gmail.com. Drop us a note and let us know your thoughts. And uh, I, I just agree with what Steve had said. Feedback and constructive feedback is always beneficial for us uh, so we can grow and become better people along the way. And with that thought, I think we'll come to a full stop and call it a day. So thanks everybody for joining us and listening to us and be sure and provide us your feedback and thoughts. Make sure and share and like all that kind of wonderful stuff on social media. Once again, we want to thank our sponsors, Upwards Unlimited, That's upwords, W-O-R-D-S, unlimited.com. And they can assist you and your teams with conversations, connections, collaboration, and community. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye.